Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Insights from entrepreneurs, social change makers, and artists. Displaying how each and everyone's uniqueness makes this planet worth living on. For more, check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com. I'm here today with Andy Madaki from Abuja, Nigeria. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi, Julian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Andy is a um, entrepreneur and also a global shaper out of Abuja. And Andy, I'm curious to hear what makes you tick. What is what is going on for you these days? Okay. Um, hi, guys. So my name is Andy Madaki. I'm a Nigerian. Um, I stay in Abuja. Nigeria has a population of about 200 million people. And so we are popularly called the Giants of Africa. Um, great place to be in, 36 states, over um, 300 ethnic groups and different languages. So it's extremely diverse, but the uh, national language is English. The mainstay of our economy in Nigeria is um, crude oil, and but lately we've been the vice line um, into oil, uh, um, into agriculture and technology and other parts of, of business. But for me, I'll speak about myself. Um, I, I moved back to Nigeria in 2013 after studying for a master's in computer forensics and started an information security company in Nigeria. And that's because um, over the years, we heard about how notorious Nigeria was for cybercrime and advanced fee fraud. And it was one of those things where I felt, how about we try to make it better by putting in place machinery to make, um, to change this impression and also easing the, um, the pains of people who are affected by cybercrime. So I started a cybersecurity firm. Um, we also developed software applications. So um, it's been a great experience being able to provide the solutions for Nigerians, which ideally we would have um, had to pay people from outside the country. So that's been quite great for me. I also um, am a global shaper and I'm also the curator of the Abuja Hub. It's been quite a great experience. I've been in the Hub for about four years. And just a week ago, I traveled all the way to Kano in Northern Nigeria, where um, we renovated a school. And the school had 900 registered students. And prior to the renovation, they had no chairs, no tables. They had lost the roof over their heads. And so we had a grant where we gave to students to come together and build a team to um, implement a project. And so the school was chosen. For us, this was quite important because it's not always about you doing stuff directly, but being able to empower the next generation um, to implement stuff themselves. So it would have been easy for us to just get the fund and go do it ourselves. But we figured how about we teach young people about leadership to come together, form a team, and go implement a project. So it was mind-blowing saying that 900 students, 900 children will now be inspired to go to school, have a place to sit down, um, and make education attractive. So this is 2017, but this is still problems which we have in rural areas. And for me, being able to be part of the solution is just absolutely great for me. It's um, mind-blowing, really. So that's what I've been up to. We've been shaping. Um, we've, we've also been pushing uh, for a policy change in Nigeria. You need to be 40 years old. Before you become a senator, you need about 35. Um, to be in the legislature, you need to at least be about 30 to 35 years old. 
but it's quite interesting because in Nigeria, most of the current leaders which we have, they got into powers years ago when they were in their 30s. So it seems there's a system to keep them in power. So we've been pushing for um, policy change, and this has changed. This um, has scaled to the federal level, and we're trying to get it passed at the state level. So it's been a busy year. It's been great. Um, and that's really what I've been up to, seeing how to bring positive change about my, to my community and having fun while doing it. Beautiful. That, uh, that, that's, that's a good intro to like, get a better picture of what kind of um, is going on in, in, in your mind on a daily basis. Because, you know, I think for, for a lot of people listening, it's, it's not necessarily clear, like, first of all, how big of a country Nigeria actually is. With 200 million people, it's almost the size of the United States. And uh, that yeah. puts it into perspective. And as you said, it is 2017, but um, we, we're still globally actually working on um, the topic of poverty and kind of moving out of poverty into abundance mindset. And um, that's, that's not just an African problem. That's also a North American, European, South American, and Asian problem. It's, it's a human topic that we have, we have to find solutions to together. So maybe, maybe tell us a little bit more about your Global Shapers Hub and how, how big you guys are, how, um, you know, how, how old you guys are. Um, I'd love to understand kind of um, what the Global Shapers mean to people in, uh, in Abuja, in Nigeria. Okay, um, so the Abuja Global Shapers, um, the Abuja Hub, we, we became five years old earlier this year, so we're almost six years old. Um, the Hub has um, 43 members currently, and we have people from every sphere of life, from medicine to law to governance, entrepreneurs, and all of that. But what we have done with the Abuja Global Shapers is We've tried to be strategic to get people to fit in several roles while also being um, diverse. So, for instance, we realize we focus a lot on policy. How about we get young people who are passionate about policy, um, about trade and investment, and bring them in? And so we have projects which we implement um, in trade and policy. But something which is quite interesting for us as a hub is something which we called the Amana Initiative. And it's, we've had three episodes of it, or three series. Basically, um, Nigeria, for those who know, we've been affected by the a terrorist situation called Boko Haram, where thousands of people have, have been killed in the Northeast. Now, what has also happened is, in a way to catch the criminals and the terrorists, you now have a rift between law enforcement agencies and the young people because it's easy. Every young person becomes a suspect. You, Julian, walking on the street, you become a suspect because no one really has a badge saying, hey, I'm a terrorist. Hey, I'm a normal young person. And so over the time, um, there, be, there was a disconnect between the law enforcement agency and the young people. And so we got a grant from the U.S. Embassy in Nigeria, which we used for the Amana Initiative. What we did with this grant was we asked for people in the northeast states of Nigeria to submit projects on how to build confidence between young people and law enforcement agencies. This was really interesting for us because we had all sorts. We had musical contests between the young people and the police officers. We had football tournaments between the army, the air force, the road transport union workers and the young people. We had town hall meetings, radio programs, and We've done that for about three years now, 
and being able to see the impact where you now understand that the law enforcement agents are your friends and you also are their friends. You could help with information sharing, which could also help reduce the attacks um, from the terrorists. It's been something really close to our lives um, and close to our hearts because we've um, carried out the project in about 19 states. The first one had 11 grantees, the next one had 19. And so it's, it's, one, it's a child which we're proud of as the Abuja hub. Um, we've also been involved in a lot of um, policy change. A year ago, there was a proposed bill to pretty much censor social media in Nigeria, which we found quite weird because the current government just kicked out the um, ruling party, which had been in um, power for about 16 years. And so they came in on the wings of social media. Now we've got people in power who are trying to censor the same social media. And so as young people, we realized that we've got freedom of speech in our um, constitution in Nigeria. So you can't necessarily censor so social media. Once again, this is 2017. You can't try to keep the voices of people down. And the truth of the matter is that it's, it's quite a silly journey because it's the internet. You can't really stop everybody on the internet, except it's a tool used to oppress the opposition. And so we're in, um, involved in uh, a campaign against that bill. So what we did, uh, we have, a, we have a, a project called the Abuja Dialogue Series, where rather than being so angry about it, we got the person, the, the legislator who proposed the bill into a room, got young people to have a discussion about it and say, this is what we think, and this is, and let's hear where you're coming from. Fortunately, that bill got thrown out of the um, National Assembly or the legislature. So that, that was great success for us. Um, we're also passionate about training the younger generation. It's something which we call the Shape Up Mentoring Program. Just, just one, just one second there. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that too. But that is that is really fascinating. So you you had a Abuja dialogue series. The policymaker in the same room with very engaged and very passionate young people. Who else was part of this dialogue group? So that actually you had that fortunate success to have the. Um, the legislation being being changed again. So what we did, it started with a social media campaign where there was a hashtag saying, say no to social media bill. And then we had a dialogue series where we got the lawmaker. Um, we had uh, a couple of lawmakers into the, in the room. Then we had young people from select industries. So from uh, entertainment to technology, to education, um, law so we got a, a room of about 50 to 100 young people and so it was almost like a debate but with the purpose of saying this is how you see it but how about you approach it from a different angle you've got other laws um, which handle stuff like libel and slander so you don't necessarily have to um, shut us up um, so it was a great conversation it was a diverse community in the room and we got a good reception from the lawmakers. Now the domino effect from social media to us getting in the room, and it also led to us going to the National Assembly for a public hearing, where we're able to speak out and have our own views heard about what we feel about the bill. Um, and so it was a collection of Nigeria. We had over 20 million hits on the internet about this bill um, with the hashtag. And so it was great seeing that the bill got stepped down really. Cool.
yeah, I mean, that's, that's success in itself. <laughs> you're, you're actually yeah. bringing people together into a room and then seeing that impact direct change. I mean, you know, often we, we, we put our energy towards something and there's a little bit of an outcome, but then we don't really know what the actual impact is. So if you're able to influence policy making with your activity of the Global Shapers Hub, that really is an immediate way to show how powerful you and the group of Global Shapers in Abuja are. That's fascinating. Definitely. That, that's the shaper spirit. Being able to do stuff without necessarily waiting for someone else to do it for you. That's what being a shaper is about. Having that impact on your community, that positive change. That's the only way we can have um, the fourth industrial revolution. That's the only way we can have development and economic growth, to be honest. When the young people take it upon themselves to participate in governance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what the Global Shapers is about for me as well, is this like take, taking action among, um, among anybody from any demographic, but with, with other people under 30 who are just ready for that kind of action. Andy, that brings up something in my mind that, that I know you and I uh, have talked about when, when we met in, in Geneva in Switzerland and also I've talked about right before we started the, the, the recording. So I'd love to share a little bit more about it. And it's, it's values. It's, it's shared human values. And you're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, which, um, yeah, that's, that's very real how we're technologically evolving into a very exponential um, technology species. But what are those values that actually let us connect? And, and what are the values that, that you observe are meaningful to people in both in your country, but also around the world? Um, so for me, values, like you very well know, is stuff which I'm passionate about because um, the real value for whatever and in whatever we do to me is humanity, realizing that at the other end of the phone, at the other end of the computer, at the other side of the table, there's a human being. We've become a generation and a world where we see people as projects, we see people as numbers, and so we've become so um, used to hearing, oh, 20, 20 people just got killed. And it looks like just another news story. But now we have that happening right in front of us. You have that happening in the US. You have that happening in Puerto Rico. Recently, we heard about the bombing in Somalia. Um, you hear about people being killed on a daily basis. And the fact that it just sounds like numbers but in reality, people are actually losing their lives. And so for me, that realization that before the numbers, before the news story is a human being, in whatever you do, you need to consider the human factor to this, saying as much as you may be privileged in your own little way, how are you really having an impact on the next person's life, which will keep them going? And so it's, it's a case of selflessness that's, that's another value. We need to be able to pull back, drop our ego and the pride aside and our constant desire to just achieve stuff, but to actually do stuff for people, to actually be there for people. It's as little as giving someone a hug, as asking people, how are they doing? You and I know how much the level of depression has increased daily um, in the world right now. Just today, I read on social media of some guy who jumped off a bridge in Lagos, Nigeria, and you just wonder who was there for him. Have we had messages being passed across without anyone listening? Because everything is just a story right now. We need to go back to 
seeing the other human being at the other side of the table. And, and so that's something which I'm really passionate about. I think we need to be more selfless. We need to let go of our um, egos and the needs to constantly achieve, but to actually be there for the next human being and the next set of people in everything we do. That, that, that's, that's stuff that keeps me up at night, really. I, yeah, I totally, I totally feel that. And I'm, I'm very much on the same, same page. It, it, does, it does keep me up at night and it does actually inspire and influence a lot of the, um, the projects and things that I, I spend my time with doing because, you know, it, it's one thing, as you say, to achieve and to have a good story to share. And I don't think we, we, we have to, to miss out on that. But then the question is, how do you, you know, for me, the question is, how do I get that into harmony? So that I have a great story to share, but I also actually am acting according to the values that, that my heart is beating. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, there seems to be that disconnect. But the truth of the matter is, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing what we're doing for? so what are you doing what you're doing for so do i want to be an entrepreneur because i want to solve a problem or do i want to be an entrepreneur because i want to make bill gates type of money both sides of the table there's nothing wrong with it but the truth of the matter is that when you know what the reason for what you're doing it helps you put in place more solutions it makes whatever we're doing in life more sustainable so i want to be able to create solutions to make the world a better place. If this brings some financial gain, I'm all for it. However, I want to constantly be bringing a solution, some value to the table. If all we do is take and not give, then there's no value we're bringing to the table. We become very disposable. And it goes as far as climate change. So we take so much from the environment, we take so much from everything around us, but what are we doing to preserve the environment? Are we really picking up the papers? Are we disposing stuff properly? It sounds little, but some of the crises which we have right now are man-made. Um, I'll give you an example. Just before I got to Geneva, my state, Benue State, we got affected by a flood and over 100,000 people um, were thrown out of their houses. And so what we had to do, like my family opened our doors for people to come stay in. Um, there was a, an internal displaced persons camp where a lot of people went there to stay but we had an overwhelming response from nigerians generally where all we had to do was mention it on social media saying this has just happened and we had people saying how can i donate how can i send stuff there and in this case no one really asked for the government and that was really impressive because it just let me know there's hope for humanity and i would like to encourage more of that where there's a crisis we don't necessarily have to wait for the government's response but the next, the next question should be, what can I do to help? And if we have that mindset, then we all bring a level of value. So how can I help before I complain about not receiving help? I think that, that, that that's the mindset we, we need to have because we spend most of the time blaming people. Yes, people will be people. Leaders will be leaders. But what are we doing individually to help? Super, super fascinating because when we talk mindset, right, we talk about education. And when we look at the role of education in our societies, I think it's almost apparent to, to anybody that education is what shapes the future. Yet, what are we educating each other and our children and our next generations for? Just to become more production factors uh, in an economy? 
So I think it's very much about mindset. It's very much about um, asking the right questions, right? Asking questions that actually allow for new answers and new perspectives. So yes, I, I like, I'm totally with you. Like, what can I do to help? Or how can I be of service to, to add something to this? Um, are, are super valuable questions. And what, what else comes to mind for you in terms of mindset, Andy? I'm, I'm really interested to see like, what connects us actually throughout the world, you know, because my feeling is that there, no matter where people are from, no matter in which country somebody lives, no matter what your national identity says, on a human level, on a value level, on a mindset level, we're actually very much in the same journey on, on, in this day, day, and, day and age. I mean, you know, when, when it comes to mindset, I think there's a common denominator in the world as, um, hmm, I'm looking for a nice word to put it, as cliche as it may sound, a, a common denominator is really love. That love for one another. No matter where you go to in the world, there's that love a mother has for a child, that love you have for your partner, your partner has for you. And the need for people to find love, that reassurance is a common denominator. And I feel that, the mindset which we need to have is one where if you could extend love to people you think you love, how about extending it to people outside your immediate circle? We, and that's the reason why we talk about world because there's a lot of conflict around the world right now. And so one of the right questions to ask is if I wouldn't do this to my brother or my relative or to my partner, why should I do this to the next person? Why has it become so easy for someone to walk into a market or into a club and shoot his gun randomly at several people? Will you do this to your family members, to someone you really love? So the mindset should be about us treating um, the world as our immediate family, really. I mean, not everyone loves their families, but we need to be able to come back to just love, really. That's, that's a value which you have everywhere in the world. And if that exists, it means there's a solution to our problems. And we need to start as individuals. There's only so much the society can do. But one thing which we do have is that free will and that mindset which you can choose to accept or change. And it really is up to you and I. We need to learn to love each other. I think that's the basis we all need to come back to. The world has strayed far away from that. And even every religion preaches love. I don't know any religion which doesn't. And so if we do stuff for religion, the same religion teaches us to love. I'm a Christian and the Bible talks about love your neighbor as your friend. And so that's something which resonates. And you don't even need religion for you to know you need to be good to the next person. And so we just need to have that mindset of coming back to love really. Coming back to love, I, yeah, I very much resonate with that. And I don't think it actually sounds cliche. I think what comes up for me when we talk about love and acceptance and tolerance, Andy, is that, like, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's very much about living that, right? And, like, embodying that. And maybe, maybe looking at somebody in, in their eyes for a second longer than you usually do, or maybe offering a hug, or, or maybe just listening to, to, to somebody who is in, in need of being heard what i know what it the, the word love and and like love is is all we need kind of triggers in a lot of people is that 
if you are going hungry, if, if you are living in poverty, if your mindset is steadily in crisis response mode because of natural catastrophe, because of terrorism, or because of poverty, um, I think love is, is a very um, ethereal concept. And um, yeah. so, so not to discredit it, because as I said, I think love is actually, as you say, it's, it's really where the, a lot of the solution and answer is. Um, but how do you feel like, I mean, look, look at Africa and the way Africa is being perceived in the world, right? It's one of the, yeah. it's probably the richest continent in terms of resources. And in a way, it's the cradle of humanity. That's where we all originate from. Um, and yet it's a poverty stricken continent with so much um, politics, so much influence from a, a, a global world that keeps it in this place as well. So before I lose my, my train of thought there, because we're opening up all kinds of boxes, how, how, how does the reality of that look for you? And how do you think the coming back to love can heal a lot of these places we, we just mentioned? You know what, Julian, you spoke about education earlier, and it's, that, that's a fact that we can't remove from our minds. Um, I mean, we do have a lot of people outside Africa who, view, who still view Africa as a country as opposed to a continent. So you've got over, say, 50 countries um, in Africa, and every country is unique. I'll talk about Nigeria specifically, for instance. We've got over 300 ethnic groups and tribes in one country alone. And so there's, there's the beauty of culture, there's the beauty of the natural resources which we have. A lot of our resources are haven't been explored yet they haven't been um, produced into stuff but the truth of the matter is the rest of the world sees africa as a storage unit where you come to get stuff out of there and then tell people how to use their resources and so africa has suffered largely from the colonial era um, from slave trade to the colonial era and we still have a system where Africa is still seen as some village, not even a country over there. So there's a lot of ignorance about this place. But you look at some of the greatest people who the world have created and produced, a lot of them come from Africa. Um, the natural resources is amazing. Like almost everywhere in Africa can be self-sufficient. But we need to go beyond just looking at somewhere which needs aid and help but seeing Africa as a self-sustaining continent. Um, we've had good examples, which the rest of the world may not see, um, like Libya, for instance, where they had the Green Revolution of trying mm -hmm. to stop rural urban migration. How about we see the positive side of it where people were actually given social security, like we have in the rest of the world, where you finish from university and you get a house allocated to you. Um, teaching becomes attractive to the people. Stuff like that increases and improves um, development but Africa on the world stage is just seen when it comes to leadership and global policies and so we have been forced to be we can be likened to children who never learned how to seek and crawl and we've just been forced to run so you've had countries that are over 200 years old trying to dictate to African countries where most of them are less than 60 years old on how to go about their business and so that lack of education to really know who these people are, what they have to offer, 
as opposed to just saying, them, hey, you go do this, hey, you behave, it just ruins it all and causes a lot of conflict and chaos, which we do have here, because everyone now wants to be independent of their own independence. Hmm. And so I encourage everyone to learn more about Africa, learn more about countries, learn about their heritage and what they have to offer, as opposed to just saying it as one box at some parts of the room. Absolutely. And I I, I echo that, uh, the, the ignorance around the world, not just in regards to Africa, but also in regards, especially in regards to Africa, is is, is pretty vast. Um, we're, we're a very, um, we're a very European and North American centric global society, and um, that's something that that can change, I believe. You know, so what I really hear you kind of like shine light towards is that when we come back to love, the stories we tell are going to be different stories. And the stories we tell are the way we relate to each other, right? So the stories we tell are stories maybe of, we can still be, be very honest and real about what doesn't work in 2017 and what needs changing and where poverty is happening, where scarcity is happening, where, where violence is happening. Absolutely, I think being real is important. And at the same time, showcasing the positive lighthouses, the positive examples of what is possible, what, what green revolutions are we already living, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I will be honest, we do have our problems. Just before we started this call, I had a power cut. And so I don't have 24-7 power supply in this day and age. And I mean, the capital city makes you question, what are we doing? So we've got a lot of oil. What are we doing with our revenue where we can't get um, electricity right, right now? We can't. I just spoke about a school of 900 students and they didn't have chairs and tables to sit down on. So yes, we do have a huge leadership problem um, in Nigeria, in a couple of African countries, but it's, it's not a global phenomenon. I mean, no shade, but look at the United States. We do have a leadership problem across the world. And so um, if we as aspiring leaders and leaders of our generation can love our people more which i come back to and try to fix the problem then maybe we'll be able to fix the governance issue um we've become very self-centered and almost very capitalist in nature where it's about that short-term benefit for the long term as opposed to the long-term development for long-term benefit and until we move away from that box we'll be in the same place where we are so we do have electricity crisis in Nigeria, which is what it was 30 years ago. So I'm um, 32 this year, and we still have the same problems we had 30 years ago. So we wouldn't shy away from those issues. However, there are the positive sides to it. You do have a lot of development going on. Um, I was in Geneva with you um, about a month ago, and we were part of a tribe, the famous Macarena tribe, where we had seven, um, we had nine people from Andy different places. Like him and I were, were uh, <laughs> in the same tribe, and, and it's something that actually really deeply connected us. So whoever's listening from the World Economic Forum, <laughs> thank you for creating those, those tribe structures. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> so the tribe, the, the, the tribe was an eye-opener for, for us because we had people like Yoshi, we had someone from China who couldn't really understand what we were saying, but with technology, he was able to translate what we were saying. We could have great conversations and we realized that 
most of the problems which I face in Nigeria, you face in Germany or Canada or in Hungary or like our friend Asma from Gaza. And it just shows you that the world really is, no one has it figured out. We're all winging it. So we've all got our issues, but we're able to still connect at the same level. So is world peace possible? Yes, it is. I met people from different countries and we got along perfectly. And it just made me realize that maybe there's hope for the future. You just maybe made my heart smile right there. Problems. You, you like <laughs> literally gave me shivers when you said, is world peace possible? <laughs> it is. It's, um, yeah, it, it, very much, it very much is possible. It's, it's a possibility I think we, we can create and we can stand for. And it's so funny what you're saying because we don't have it figured out anywhere. It, yes, like, I don't even think there is something to figure out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing when you, when you listen to leaders and economic leaders and, and, and people uh, high up in, in corporations speak, there is a seriousness about the way we're currently running the world that um, I think that prevents us actually from coming back to love and, and maybe, maybe just going into a much larger um, human vision where we realize, okay, let's let's put out the vision to have peace on earth and to have um a humanity that beyond religion not to discredit religion but beyond religion comes back to as a shared humanity right um and then that's something andy that i i know you've listened to a podcast episode or two that i've recorded i ask everybody yeah. on this show and is very much my favorite question because <laughs> i want to understand that a, I want to understand where people are from. I want to understand what makes people tick. I want to understand people's mindsets. I'd love to understand how people feel and, and think about abundance. And then I really want to hear, like, what is your vision for planet Earth? And, and man, just, just go for it. What do, you see, what do you see possible in the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 years? Um, that's a tough one. What I do see possible in the next, you know what would be cool? And I digress a little bit. Being able to teleport from Nigeria to Vancouver within minutes. Um, and that would so, be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think ease of movement around the world is something which I see as a possibility in the next couple of years. If man was able to get to the moon, you should be able to wake up today, go to Australia for a meeting, and come back the next day without visa problems, without um, a lot of restrictions. Like movement from one place to the other right now in the world is a big deal. We look at the EU and maybe it looks a little bit easier or um, some other places, but to find out that the processes which it would take for me to leave one place, I can't stand up today and decide to travel to some countries tomorrow, even if I've got the resources. Um, so I, I see an open world, if we call it a global village, where I don't need a visa to have this conversation with you right now over, over this device. I should be able to come over for a meeting and go. So a free and more trusting world um, would be quite important. In Africa, we're, in, we're working on something called the Open Africa campaign to pretty much open our borders and make trade free. But in the next hundred years, I see... What I would love to see really is peace and an end to poverty. It may sound utopian, it may sound like it may never happen, but an end to poverty would really make a lot of sense. In Nigeria, you have at least 70% of the population, which is 200 million, living below a dollar 
a day. So 70% of 200 million people living below a dollar. And so while for some people they may make $150 in a day, you have people getting $150 equivalent in a month as wages in Nigeria. And being able to reduce poverty and distribute resources um, efficiently and adequately for me in the next 20 to 50 years, I think that would be great, really. Beautiful. I think if, if we can imagine it, it, it can become true. It really, it's a matter of, yep. it's a matter of intention. You know, intention is like the, it's, I feel like intent is like the architect that kind of designs um, the realm of possibilities and also like the outline and the framework. And then attention, where we put our energy every day, what we, uh, what we say yes to doing, our attention is like the engineers that actually make it happen. So definitely, with you putting out there this vision of global peace and the end of poverty and, oh man, like, yeah, absolutely. And wouldn't it be amazing and, and, and fascinating to be able to, just get up, be in Australia in the afternoon, come back the next day or, or, or in the same day even, um, and not even worry a single second about whether or not that's possible or whether or not I have to show a passport, but simply to be seen yeah. as a, a human being that walks the earth with a purpose and with something to express and a creativity yeah. that, that, that is shared. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, like, for instance, the reason why I talk about this, we had someone in our tribe, and I, I mean, the, the World Economic Forum has shaped my thinking a lot in life and my experiences. Being able to share stories with Asma, who had to prepare for three months to leave her country to come see us um, in Geneva, or um, appreciating peace, uh, because you can't really go far from this. You have a situation where someone tells you a journey which would take one hour by road is taking 13 hours because of several military checkpoints. It just makes you wonder how much we take for granted. And so I stay in my house. I could go out, do whatever I want and come back. But for some people, they can't leave one city to the next city. And so do we realize how much we take for granted? And so um, appreciation comes to mind. We need to also grateful for what we have because no matter how bad it is someone has it worse than you but they've got bigger smiles than we do and so how much do we i mean you've got a very big smile but how much do we appreciate uh, um, what we have it may not be great right now but it's a start we're still breathing and i've learned to appreciate and see the positive side of stuff really wow that's a beautiful note to, to end, our, end our conversation. This is gratitude and finding appreciation, returning to love. Andy, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your, your mindset, your dreams, and also the actions that you and your fellow um, friends and Global Shapers are taking in Abuja. Thanks for being on the show. I'm, I'm super honored to spend this time with you. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure, Julia. It's nice catching up with you again. So, wow, that was a very deep and insightful episode with Andy Madaki from the Nigerian city Abuja. And I certainly learned a thing or two. I really enjoyed us talking about um, being a part of the solutions and bringing positive change into the world and really truly believing in a world that no matter the atrocities we face, um, that 
actually a world that actually is able to come together where we can return to love and from love build um, a humanity where we um, kind of go beyond poverty and creating impact that um, drives change uh, as young people, as older people, as people from all genders and generations uh, of all countries. Yeah, so I'm really stoked about this Global Shaper series. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, for more info, check out the website. Make sure to also find the Facebook group. Um, website is greenplanet-blueplanet.com and uh, the Facebook group has the same name. So make sure to follow and engage on social media.